Well, good morning, everybody. You think we can get those people out there? You think we can get them fired up? You think we can get them excited about being here today? What's that? Throw the, throw the gospel at them? <laughs> Good call, Connor, man. Well, what do you say we pray and then we dive into God's word? Maybe that'll get them fired up. Jesus, we love you, and we're so grateful that you've given us this morning an opportunity to gather together as the people who are your bride, the ones who call you king, that we've given you our lives and our everything without hesitation or reservation, that wherever you lead we'll go, Lord Jesus, that you have our everything, that we have abandoned unto you. And so we pray that your spirit would be present among us today, not just in our hearts, but in this place, and that as we fellowship together in the gospel, Jesus, that you would be glorified as we worship in spirit and in truth. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's try that one more time. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I have a question for those of you who are present today. Have you ever, have you ever been in a race? Anybody ever been in a race? Are you guys falling asleep too? Just say, yeah, we don't have to raise our hands. We're not in school. Have you ever been in a race? Yes? Okay. Well, how'd you do? You did good? Sometimes you do. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you don't do so great. Well, what's the whole point of a race? What's the point? Is it? Is the point to win? What's the point of a race? Maybe to exercise. Okay. What's to have fun? What were you going to say? Abigail, you had something to run? You don't know? Well, a couple of years ago, I was, Connor was in first grade, and it was the last day of school, and they had this big obstacle course that they made, and it was rainy outside, so they brought everybody inside the gym, and they had all these different little things that you had to go through, and it went all over the whole gymnasium, this big whole gym, and as all the kids were running through it, you know what the kids were most concerned with? It wasn't about being in first place. You know what all of the little kids were really concerned with? Who do you think was there on the last day of school? Their parents. Parents got to come and they got to be there. And so as the kids were running through the obstacle course, what do you think the kids were most concerned with? What They were concerned about Every time they'd run by their parents in the gym, what would they do? They'd wave and they'd say, hi, mom, hi, dad. And that was more important for, I think, almost every kid. Maybe there might have been one or two exceptions. That the most important thing was to look and see their mom or their dad or maybe their uncle or their, you know, grandma or whoever it was that was there, maybe all those people. Why do you think that is? Because they love them, yeah? Family's more important than just winning the race, yeah. Well, in the Bible, there's a guy named Paul. Y'all have heard of Paul? Yeah, he's the guy in the New Testament that his name used to be Saul, and then he becomes Paul because he has an encounter with the risen Christ, right? And it, he's completely changed. He doesn't just ask Jesus into his heart. And then his life basically looks the same as it was before. He's still murdering Christians. But he says, well, I'm good because I asked Jesus into my heart. 
you know, and I go to church and, you know, I pray prayers and I, I, I've memorized scripture, but my life really isn't any different. His life was radically different. And so he started to write letters as he was going on his mission trip. Sometimes he'd get thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. And do you know why he did all that? Why do you think he did it? Do you think he did it to win a trophy? Do you think he did it to win first place? Why do you think he did all that? He did tell other people about getting into heaven, but why do you think he did that? That's right. The most important thing to Paul was that he wanted his king, Jesus, and he wanted his father to be proud of him. And he actually wrote, and he says, you know, one of my biggest concerns is, is this is in 1 Corinthians, not chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. He says that one of my big concerns is that after I've done everything, after I've planted churches, after I've been shipwrecked, after I've been stoned, after I've told people about Jesus over and over, after I've written letters, after I've been obedient, you know what his big concern was? Anybody know? His big concern was is that he might be disqualified, disqualified from the race. See, you can run a race for a really long time. It doesn't really matter how you start. It matters how you finish. It matters how you end. And Paul was really concerned that he might do a lot of really great things, but then at the end of his life, what if he got a little bit lazy? What if he got a little bit complacent? That's a big fancy word for lazy. What if he got a little complacent, and then at the end of his life, what if he just kind of fizzled out, and then he got disqualified. Wouldn't that be sad? And so his focus, Paul, one of the great missionaries, one of the great martyrs of the Christian faith, after everything he did, he was concerned about being disqualified. So I think that if Paul was concerned about being disqualified, maybe we should be too, right? Maybe we should be, because that's part of of God's love letter to us. So today, as you listen to the sermon, the message from Pastor Kevin, I want you to think about not about just starting the race, not about taking off and being the sprinter and I'm in first place for the first hundred yards, but then after that to fizzle out. It's to run the race in a way that brings honor and glory to our Father Glory and honor to Jesus, our King. Glory and honor to the Holy Spirit, that we run it with integrity and that God's glorified in and through our lives. Because that's like the little kid who's waving over at their mom and dad on the sidelines. That's the most important thing. And that was the most important thing for Paul. Okay? Well, let's pray. And then we're going to worship some more. Jesus, we love you. And I just pray that these kiddos, not just them, but everyone who's present here and those who listen to this message, that the most important thing wouldn't be a fast start. It wouldn't be about asking Jesus into our hearts. It would be about the way that we run the race, that we wouldn't be disqualified, that at the end of it all, that you would look at us and you would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Help us to be faithful, not just today, but every day until you call us home or you return. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.
Well, I had a question for those kiddos, and I have a, a, a start for you all today, and I want to ask you, have you ever thought about retirement? It's interactive. Have you ever thought about retirement? I want you to ask you for just a second, maybe close your eyes. Close your eyes, and I want you to think about what does retirement look like? I see some of you with your eyes still open. You're cheating. Cheating. Close your eyes and think about what is retirement. When you think about retirement, what does it look like? Some of you are maybe already at retirement age, and you've been retired for a while, and you say, well, it doesn't look anything like what I thought it would look like when I was younger. What does retirement look like? Does it look like maybe sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair, holding hands with your loved one, drinking lemonade or iced tea? Does it look like maybe a a cabin in the woods? Does it look like maybe just not having to punch a time clock or a time card? Does it look like not having to sit inside of a cubicle, not having to do what your boss tells you to do? No more TPS reports, right? You can open your eyes just want to ask you, what does retirement look like? See, the idea, the concept of retirement is pervasive in our culture. I was doing some research this week, and I found out that when people retire at the age of 55, that there's a 90% chance, 90% chance that they are going to die within the next 10 years compared to people who retire at the age of 65. 90% greater likelihood, I should say. Isn't that crazy? Makes you think is that, you know, sometimes when we have this idea of what retirement or anything, we've got this idea of what something is going to be in our heads, and then when it doesn't really turn out that way, and we spend our whole lives planning, right? 401ks, IRAs, stocks and bonds, planning, plotting, scheming, making sure everything's in place. And if everything goes just right, then we get to that spot and we retire. And then what if it's not what we really thought and disappointment comes in? See, there's a story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells a parable in 1215. He tells them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not, can you all say that with me, not in the abundance of possessions. It's not. We can tell one another and I can preach it and I can say it, but do we believe it? Do we really believe that? We say, well, I don't really want possessions. I just want the money that gets me the possessions. It's the same thing. It's mammon. Can't serve two masters. Then Jesus goes on in verse 16. He tells them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and I'll store all my grain and goods there. Then I'll say to myself, Then I'll say to myself, you have many good things stored up for many years. Take it easy. 
eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things you've prepared, who will they belong to? That's how it is when one stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That idea of a retirement mindset, it's pervasive in our culture. And because it's pervasive in our culture, it bleeds into our churches. See, it doesn't just end when we walk inside these doors. And that's why we talk about asking Jesus into our hearts, and we talk about once saved, always saved, because we want to have a retirement mindset. There are a lot of people in Scripture. There's a guy named Noah. I don't know if you've heard of Noah. Kind of a famous guy from Scripture. And I'm not going to tell you Noah's whole story, but there was a flood on the earth, and Noah and his family were the only ones to survive. Genesis chapter 9, after the flood and after God had made a promise, the covenant with Noah that he said that when you look and you see a rainbow in the sky, it's going to remind you that I'm never going to flood the earth again. I wonder if when Jesus told that parable about the rich fool, if he didn't have Noah in the back of his mind a man who'd gotten to a certain place in his life. I've, I've done some pretty good things. I built an ark. I was faithful. Everybody else on earth is wiped out. I was the guy. The dove showed up with the olive branch. We made it to land. Here we are. It's time to retire. What do we read about Noah after the covenant? Not much of anything, do we? But see, as Christians, oftentimes we, we, we teach the stories, right? Ask our kids, what do you know about Noah? Oh, there's the ark and the animals, but how did he finish? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how the story ends. I'll tell you how the story ends. With a fizzle. With a pathetic, miserable fizzle. In chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 20, it says, Noah was a man of the soil. And as I read that this week, I thought, what a horrible way to define Noah, a man of the soil. It seems to me that what God is revealing in and through Scripture is that Noah was actually regressing. He came from the soil as a descendant of Adam, but he wasn't known by his faithfulness to God, the way that he finished the race, as Paul would say, a man of the soil, he began planting a what? A vineyard. What do you do with a vineyard? You grow grapes. And what did Noah do with those grapes? He was a very creative fellow. He ended up making wine out of it. It didn't just happen, folks. It didn't just happen. He planned it out. I'm not going to spend time talking to my kids. We don't read anything about his discipleship or his love for the Lord or further exploits. What we read is, is he was a man of 
the soil. That's how Scripture defines him. And he drank some wine, and he got drunk, ends up naked in a tent. Kind of some sketchy business. You can read the story for yourselves. But in verse 29, Noah's legacy says he grew to an old age, 950 years, then he died. What a legacy. It sounds like a retirement mindset. Maybe you're unconvinced. Moses, Numbers chapter 20. Moses is leading the Israelites. It says, the entire community entered the wilderness. And what do the Israelites do whenever there's not enough food and not enough water? What do they do? They complain. They grumble. They whine and they moan. Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt, Moses? Come on! Why have you led us here, it says in verse 5, to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain and figs and vines and pomegranates. There's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron go and they meet with God, and in verse 8 says, God told them, take the staff, assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them and the rock, from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. And then in verse 10, Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. See, Moses had gotten to a place after years of ministry, he wanted to retire. I'm done with you people. I'm up here, you're down there, and I'm sick and tired of constantly having to correct you. A retirement mindset set in on Moses, and he no longer saw himself as part of the community. I'm above you, and you people are a plague and a plight on my life. You're sucking the life out of me. It's true, they were, but Moses wasn't allowed to go there. Listen, you rebels, must we bring water? Must we? Moses is the one that thinks, I'm doing this for you. Who's doing it? The Lord. Must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and instead of speaking, struck the rock twice with his staff so that abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me, not because you got angry, not because you struck the rock, not in the details, but in your heart, you didn't trust me. You got to a place where you had an entitlement and retirement mindset. I'm going to cross over into the Jordan, and then everything's going to be good. And God said, because of that, you stopped trusting me. You're not going in. You're not going to be the one to bring this assembly into the land I've given them. You're disqualified. 
Some of you might say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with his salvation. Wrong question. Wrong response. That's not it. It's not about whether or not we're saved or not saved. It's not about whether we ask Jesus into our hearts or not. It's whether or not we're faithful. Do we trust God? See, because God said, you're not going in. Because you stopped trusting me. Judges chapter 8, there's a guy named Gideon. And if you ask people as Christians, they know the story, right? I know the story of Moses. I know the story of Noah. I know the stories. But how do they end? How do they end? Oh, I don't know. But I know there's an ark. I know Moses parted the waters. I know Gideon, wasn't he the guy that had, you know, some fleece? And he said, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. Make the fleece dry and the ground wet. I know the story, but how did it end? I don't know. It ends in chapter 8 with Gideon surrounded by the Israelites, and they say, rule over us, you and your sons and your grandsons, because you've delivered us from the Midianites and their power. Gideon said, I'm not going to rule over you. I'm not. And my sons won't rule over you either. The, The Lord will rule over you. It sounds really good, doesn't it? The Lord's going to rule over you. But then, because the whole golden calf thing worked out so well for Aaron, right? When Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God, and he asked all the Israelites to pitch in their jewelry so that he could make a golden calf. Because that worked out so well Gideon says to the Israelites, I'm not going to rule over you. Let the Lord do that. He's going to rule. But here's what I want to ask from you because of all my years of service and I'm getting ready to retire. Here's what I'm going to ask of you. Take your jewelry and throw it into this bag. There's about 40 some odd pounds of gold and jewelry in the bag. And what does he do with it? He turns it into a golden ephod. One of the ceremonial garments. If you don't know what an ephod is, look it up. But it was part of the ceremonial clothing for the priests. And he makes a golden ephod, and it says, Gideon made an ephod from all of this in his hometown. Then Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it, the golden ephod, became a snare to Gideon and his family. How did he finish? But pastor, it's not about whether or not he was saved. He was saved. I'm sure he's going to be in heaven. But how did he finish? See, as Christians, what we do is our focus becomes on whether or not we're saved instead of it being about whether or not we're pleasing our God. I've got blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, so now I'm going to go and I'm going to live my life and do whatever I want to do instead of being concerned about whether or not I'm pleasing the Father in heaven. Second Kings, maybe you know the story of about a guy named Hezekiah. It begins in 18, and it says that he was a pretty incredible guy. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his ancestor David had done. That's a pretty good beginning, Hezekiah, right? 
And then the Assyrian king comes along and he's threatening Hezekiah. And you guys are all looking at the prices right up there going, what does that have to do with Hezekiah? Hang in there. I'm going to tell you. The Assyrian king comes along and he says, don't put your trust in God. That's what all of these other foreign kings have done. And I've wiped him out. And he sends a letter to Hezekiah and Hezekiah takes it before God and he rolls out the letter before the Lord and he says, Lord, your name is on the line. All these other foreign kings and their gods, they were false, but you're the real deal. You're it, God. Your name is on the line. Deliver us. And guess what happened? 185,000 soldiers dead without an arrow being fired, without a sword being drawn the next morning. All of them are dead, except for Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. And he runs off with his tail between his legs. It sounds really great, right? And that's the story that we teach in Sunday school to our kiddos. What about Hezekiah? Oh, he was awesome. Hezekiah was awesome. He prayed before the Lord, and he rolled out the letter, and yay! But how does the story end? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. He asked Jesus into his heart, and he went to heaven. I'll tell you how the story ends. Hezekiah became terminally ill. When the king of Babylon heard about it, he sent an envoy, a group, a posse, to go and meet And what did Hezekiah do? Did he tell the envoy, did he tell the Babylonians about his God? Did he read them scripture? Did he tell them about God's covenant fidelity from the beginning of time as creator? No, he didn't. He opened up his treasury, just like on the prices right. He did that. Look at all my stuff. Look at how awesome I am. And the envoy went back, not hearing about God and his faithfulness. And Isaiah came along and he said, because of what you've done, because of what you've done and your lack of faithfulness to God, and you didn't tell them about the truth of who God is. Instead, you wanted to impress them with your stuff and your toys and your gold and your silver. Because of that, your sons are going to be taken off into captivity by those very people, and they're going to become eunuchs. And you can look that one up too and see what that means. You know what Hezekiah's response was? You know what his legacy is? At the very end of chapter 20, verse 19, he says, So what? As long as there's peace and security during my lifetime... So what? As long as it doesn't bring any discomfort, as long as it doesn't rock the boat for me, what do I care? And his legacy, Hezekiah, fizzled out. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable about We oftentimes say it's a parable of the sower. Sometimes we say the parable of the seed. Sometimes we say the parable of the soils. When you ask people about it, they remember, oh, well, some fell on good soil and some fell on bad soil. 
But see, there's between the hard-packed soil and the good soil, there's a couple of other kinds of soils. Some of the same seed, it's not seeds, different kinds, it's the exact same seed. It's the gospel. And it landed on some rocky soil, and others landed among thorns, and guess what happened to it? The one along rocky soil. It shot up really fast. It's the people that you see in church and they're on fire and they're dancing and praising Jesus. Hallelujah! And then one little bump in the road comes along and you never see him again. Jesus said that. As soon as there's opposition, as soon as there's persecution, as soon as you have trouble, how could Jesus allow my kid to have cancer? And that's what we do. Rocky soil. And there's another kind that fell among thorns. And it grew up, and the thorns and the thistles gathered around it and choked it out. And Jesus said, you know what that is? Do you know what that is? It's the worries of life. It's when you become concerned, when you put anything over your love with me. That's what Jesus said. You start thinking about money and your 401k and your retirement plan, guess what happens? You lose it. You start having debates about whether it means loss of salvation. What does apostasy mean? Can you lose your salvation? Can you have your salvation? Maybe they didn't have it in the first place. It's the wrong debate. It's the wrong question. Do you love the Lord like that little kid running the race? I just want my dad to be proud of me. That's the only thing that matters. And when that's our focus, then everything else falls into place. But what we do is we say, well, I asked Jesus into my heart. I crawled into the baptistry and I got wet when I was seven. Maybe it was eight. Maybe it was two. Maybe it was 12. Maybe it was 30. But I did all the right stuff. I did all the things that the people in the church told me to do. But did you abandon unto Yahweh? Did you give him everything? Did you lay out your life and say, all of it belongs to you, Lord? See, because I've been baptized with Christ and I no longer live. The old Kevin, dead in those baptismal waters. Or was it about a retirement plan? Was it about doing the minimum just enough to make sure I got my hell insurance card? I got it. What are you going to do when you get to heaven? I love the question. When Jesus asks you, why should I let you in? Oh, let me see. I've got the answer here somewhere. I was talking to my wife this morning, and I said, if Jesus asked me that question, I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to fall down on my face in worship because I don't belong here. It's because of you and what you've done at the cross. That's the only reason, Jesus, and I don't have any words. I don't have any words. And the fact that I'm standing before you is enough. Psalm 107. We spent several weeks in it. Going over, it's not just about give thanks to the Lord, abandon unto Yahweh. Peter wrote about it. We spent several weeks in Second Peter. Make every effort. Well, that sounds like a workspace salvation, Pastor. 
Give all your attention to, to what? To the prophetic word of truth. Give all your attention, not 50%, not 85%, not 99.9%. Give all your attention. The word says it. Are we doing it? Oh, well, he doesn't really mean that. Oh, okay. Retirement mindset? I've done enough. I go to church. I read my Bible. I'm a religious person. I'm spiritual. Well, good for you. See, because when Jesus comes back and he separates the goats from the sheep, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Are you? Are you delegating that to your pastor? In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian elders, he's coming to the end of his life, and he says, I know I'm not ever going to see you guys again. And in verse 24, he says, but I consider my life of no value. Compare that with the rich fool. The one who had a lot of stuff and he said, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And God demanded his life that very night. I consider my life no value to myself. My purpose is to finish the course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. What's your purpose? What's your goal? Is it the gospel? Is it? See, because your life, if it's demanded of you this very night, what are you going to say? Jesus, I was, I was getting to that. I was getting to that, Jesus. I was, I was planning on, once I graduated from high school, and once, once I went to the right college, or once I got the right job, once I lived in the right neighborhood, once I was making six figures, once I was, once, once, once the stuff, everything, all the planets lined up, that's when I was going to do something for you, Jesus. You fool. What about if he demands an account tonight? What are you going to say? I, I was going to. And outside there were many, and there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. First Corinthians, again, Paul's not debating apostasy. He's not talking about losing your salvation. He's setting an example. In First Corinthians 9, he says, don't you know, the runners in the stadium, they all race, but only one receives a prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. What if we were all to run in such a way as to win the prize of our Father's approval, of our King's approval? 
Jesus, I'm doing this for you. Jesus, I'm doing this for you. Father, I'm doing this for you. That's the prize. Is that how you're running? Are you running? Or are you in the stands? Everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown. I do not run like the one who runs aimlessly or box like the one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body. Pastor, that sounds like a workspace salvation. It's in Scripture, folks. And I bring it under strict control so that after everything I've done, I might not be disqualified. You ever think about that? Paul Paul was concerned about being disqualified. Are you? Are you? In the book of Revelation, at the end of chapter 1, we find out that there's some stuff, this apocalyptic literature, there's lots of visions and crazy stuff going on, and it takes some understanding and some reading and some interpretation. And where we find out is that the seven lampstands are, in fact, the seven churches. And in chapter 2, the says, write to the angel of the church of Ephesus, I know your works, your labor, your endurance. You cannot tolerate evil people. It sounds really good. It's a good start. You've tested those who call themselves apostles, and they're not. You've found them to be liars. I know that you've preserved and endured hardships for the sake of my name. And it all sounds really good, right? It all sounds really good. That's high praise from Jesus. But I have this against you. You've forgotten your first love. You're not running the race for me. You're having debates about once saved, always saved. Infralapsarianism, sublapsarianism. Are we Calvinists? Are we Arianisms? What's our deal? Where do we stand? Have we signed the Baptist faith message? Do we affirm it? Do we reject it? None of that stuff matters if you're not running the race for Jesus. It doesn't matter. You can have all of the right doctrine in the world, and it doesn't matter if you're not running the race. I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. Remember how you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Works. Jesus, do the works. Do the works. Otherwise, I'll remove your lampstand. I'll erase your church. You won't exist anymore. See, you're either going to be my bride and you're going to be spotless and pure or you're not. You're either going to promote and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth or you're not. And I'm not going to rank you on whether or not you handed out hot dogs and turkeys and slushies. I'm not going to rate you on whether or not you left your parking lot open so that people could do their Facebook trades. That's not what I'm going to rate you on. 
What I'm going to rate you on is, did you proclaim the gospel? Did you run the race? Were you faithful to the very end? Were you? And then he says, to the one who conquers, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. That's what he says to the church in Ephesus. Let anyone who hears listen to what the Spirit says. Then to the next church in Smyrna, let anyone who hears listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, they'll never be harmed by the second death. Sounds like a lot of work. Conquering, enduring, persevering, listening. Then he goes on, the letter to Pergamum. Towards the end, it says, Let anyone who has ears listen to what the Spirit says. Listen to the one who conquers. I will give some of the hidden manna to the next church, Thyatira. To the one who conquers and keeps my works to the end. I will give him authority over the nations. Let anyone who has ears listen to what the Spirit says. To the church at Sardis. He says the same thing. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. And I will never erase his name from the book of life. Let anyone who has ears listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, to the church at Philadelphia. Are you seeing a pattern? Listen. Conquer. Stay in there. Fight to the end. Endure. Persevere. Hold on. Are you? Or did you do some stuff? Did you do the magical formula? Did you ask Jesus into your heart? You got wet? Go to church? Read your Bible? Have your quiet time? I do the stuff. I check the box on the list. I got them all down. The rich young ruler said, Jesus, I did all that stuff since I was a kid, but there's one thing you lack, and it wasn't about the money. It was about his heart. You've never given me your heart, have you? Are your eyes on Jesus? See, we can be like the rich fool. The one who has the retirement mindset and say, I've done enough. I planted some churches. I preached some pretty good sermons. I went to church a lot. But is the goal and the purpose of your life to glorify God in all things at all times forever? Is it? You can shake your head and nod to me and say, yeah. But one day you're going to be standing before the king. And he's going to know. Was it about programs? Was it about events? Was it about you feeling good about what you got to do? Highlighting your name and building your kingdom? It was like Paul said, my sole purpose, my goal, is to proclaim the gospel of God's grace to the ends of the earth. I want to ask everybody to stand The title of this sermon is Eyes on Jesus. And I want you to sing. 
I want you to sing this song. Maybe it's because that's truly how you feel. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Or maybe you want to sing as repentance. Jesus, I haven't been doing that. And I want to turn my eyes to you. I want you to be the focus, the north star of my life. I want to be running and looking at you and saying, Dad, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you, Dad. Jesus, I'm doing this for you because of what you've done for me. But I want you to sing. I want you to sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look response, I just simply ask that you would respond. This is the time of the benediction, the sending out, right? And it can stay in these walls, it can stay in this place, or the preaching of the word, the gospel of truth, it can change our hearts and our lives, 
And we can be, go from being people who know it, think about it, maybe even believe it, to actually living it. Being salt and light in a lost and broken world. Paul was concerned that he might be disqualified. I hope we are too. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us to run the race with integrity. Help us to run the race so that we might not be disqualified. Help us to run the race in order to win the prize. And that's you. There's nothing greater. There's nothing bigger. There's nothing more beautiful. It's you. Help us to be faithful to the end. Help us not to fizzle out. Help us to proclaim the gospel, the word of truth, to the ends of the earth. Help us to make that our testimony with our lives and our love, that we would radically transform the world as your spirit dwells in us and dwells in this church, and that our lampstand would be bright. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.